Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And joining us today, we have an awesome guest. I know this man appreciates the grind with the NBA draft and the sport of basketball as a whole as much as I do because of how many platforms this dude has. And I'm going to ask him to definitely give his plugs at the start of his podcast because, quite frankly, I don't want to miss any of them. Tyler Rucker, Mr. Backcourt Violation. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited to uh, talk some draft. Pleasure's all mine, boss. So I, I said I was going right to you. Can you please, for my audience, plug everything that you're doing? Because I feel like I stumble upon something new that you're connected to every time I look at your account. Well, I'll try to be quick. But uh, yeah, so it started at backcourtviolation.com. Try to write some articles about the NBA and uh, draft upcoming prospects and all that fun stuff. And then we just started the basketball podcast for backcourt violations. So we'll have our third episode out this week, which has been very fun trying to basically dip our toes in the podcast world. So um, yeah, it's just, it's just been a lot of fun stuff, you know, trying to grow the community and pretty much build the little draft network and talk to everybody about the draft. So it's just been a lot of fun so far and, you know, it's, it's it's got a long way to go, but we're excited so far. You've got the website, you got all the YouTube stuff that you're doing. Now you got your podcast. You're 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 right in the thick of everything, and that's why I'm glad to have somebody on like you, Tyler, who's who's so close connected to everything going on with the 2021 draft. Because we're not just gonna do the 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 hot thing right now. Where we're gonna talk about the same top 20 guys right right now, who I feel like we've been talking about for months and months and months. It's time to dive into some of these guys that you're going to find. A few of them we're going to talk about, I, I think, have secured their spots in the late first round. I'll be interested to get some of your thoughts on that, Tyler. But for the most part, a lot of these guys we're talking about is like second rounders or like potential undrafted targets. And for everybody out there listening, I'm absolutely going to go into more of those guys as I tweeted out today. When I release my episodes with the 2021 Draft Deeper tiers, we're, we're going 102 deep. So that this is this is a class that's not light on talent, maybe not a whole bunch of stars all the way through the second round by any means, but definitely guys who deserve to have their names mentioned, their games talk about. Um, after all, that that's the motto over here at Draft Deeper. We're going to talk about somebody who could go 59th or 60 or might be an undrafted free agent target. We're going to give them shine when, when it's their turn, just like we would any of like the top five, top 10, top 20 guys. So that's what we like to do over here. And we're certainly getting into that today. Tyler, are you ready to, to get into some of the, the fun prospects we're talking about now? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, dive into the deep end of the barrel and talk about some guys that haven't been getting enough attention. But there's, like you said, there's talent just all over this draft. So it's, it's a fun one. Well, deep end of the barrel is probably the best way you can put it because we're going to start with the whole point of this podcast today. I want to go over winners and losers from the NBA draft combine that just happened last week, as well as the G league elite camp. And I don't want to spend too much time on the losers quote unquote, because obviously we would like to focus on a lot more positive here than the negative. That's just a philosophy of mine, but we're, we're going to start with some winners from the G league elite camp who ended up getting invited to the NBA draft combine. Um, and we'll start with AJ Lawson guard out of South Carolina. Gotta be honest. I've known about him for a few years. 
he he's been on a radar to definitely continue watching and evaluate but he wasn't in a range to kind of be in like my second round tier or, or one of those tiers of prospects until he really showed out at the G League Elite Camp. And then he had a really good um, second game at the NBA Draft Combine as well. Definitely showed out in a variety of different ways, stuffed the stat sheet. And I was really impressed with the energy that he brought, his athletic profile, the different skills that he was able to showcase, just the stat line from that second game. He had 17 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, four steals. Um, not the best shooting percentage overall from the field, but he did shoot four of 10 from three-point range. Obviously, his shooting's been a question for a few years now in terms of how efficient he can be from deep. And that kind of speaks to his shooting percentage again overall at South Carolina this past year, only 39%. So not a high-level efficient shot maker by any means, but he certainly can excel in a variety of different ways. 98th percentile on, on putbacks off of offensive rebounds, as I kind of said at the top. He's a hustle guy. 84th percentile on spot-ups, um, 74th percentile on cuts. So he can score in different ways without the basketball in his hands, but he's not going to be somebody who you're, you're throwing the ball to him on a second unit, and he's going to go out there and reliably create his own shot time and time again down the floor. So if you understand what you're getting in him, He's a high he's he's a high level energy type of guy. Certainly plays defense with a level of effort and intensity that you want from somebody you're potentially looking to draft in the second round. But again, with the positive showing that he showed at the combine, kind of playing to the majority of his strengths that he's shown in his time at South Carolina, I do think that he gets drafted. Tyler, how do you feel about AJ Lawson and what he was able to bring to the table at the combine? And how do you feel about his case overall as a draftable prospect? Well, I think you you hit it perfectly there. It's just, it's one of these things where it's always notable when guys that play good at the G League, you know, camp, if you want to call it the elite camp, I think they say specifically, but when these guys get invited to come then to the NBA combine, you always got to pay special attention to that because that means, you know, evaluators and scouts and NBA personnel around the league were a fan basically of what they did. They want to see more. And, you know, preparing for this, I even think I looked, went and looked back, I think two years ago, you know, Terrence Mann, who's with the Clippers right now in the playoffs, he was a guy that went to the G League elite camp and then parlayed that into the NBA draft combine. So there's always talent you can find. There's always guys that were, you know, previously on some scouts radars that all of a sudden showed those glimpses that they were so high and fond on them before. And I think Lawson's one of those guys, you know, he's got good size. He's six, six, he's a little skinny. I think he's listed at 178, but you look back at his career at South Carolina, he averaged almost more than 13 points per game each year. Um, I think last year it was up to 16.6. Like you said, the shooting percentages are a little lower than you'd want, but I think he was around 35% throughout his career there. So there's definitely some offensive upside with his game. And, you know, these guys, yeah, they might not end up being drafted, but now all of a sudden these teams are looking at these guys as, hey, maybe we can put them on a summer league roster and they show us something. Maybe they get a two-way deal. Maybe they groom their game in the G League and all of a sudden they become an important rotational piece. So there's definitely some guys that showed out at the G League combine and, it's notable that they all of a sudden had good performances at the NBA. So they look like they belong. 
it's going to be interesting to see if they can almost improve their draft stock enough to maybe creep into the end of the second round or middle tier. You know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, I think Lawson looked great and um, it's going to be fantastic to see basically if he ends up getting drafted. So before I ask you, Tyler, if you would draft him in the second round, I'll just come out and say why I would. Mm -hmm. Um, I think these teams nowadays, and you even saw it in the playoffs last night in the Suns-Clippers game. We're recording this on June 29th. Last night was game five between the Suns and the Clippers. I mean, sometimes you just need a wing to come in and spell somebody for minutes, regardless of that being foul trouble or somebody gets hurt, needs to come out of the game for a little bit, whatever the case may be. But you need to have someone who's certainly big enough, has positional size, plays with the motor to come in and kind of make up for any potential mistakes he might make on the court because he's not used to being in the rotation. But when you need somebody to just go to, right, like the Phoenix Suns went to Abdul Nader in that game last night, kind of pretty unexpectedly. I don't I don't remember Nader playing at any other point, um, at, at least in a meaningful way in the playoffs yet, yet up to now. So being able to just have somebody like that on your bench and being able to bring them in who is not going to sink you necessarily on the defensive end, especially when he gets matched up on an island against somebody. Lawson was in the 91st percentile defending in isolations this past year at South Carolina. So again, this big physical guard that we're talking about, if you put him on an island, he's not going to be lost. He's going to compete and, and do his best to stay with that guy. And we see, especially now nowadays, again, NBA offense is kind of, especially in the playoffs, there are these half-court sets where they're either going to a pick-and-roll or they're, they're clearing everybody out to the weak side and they're saying, hey, we, we're going to put the ball in our best guy's hands, go make a shot. And maybe it might be running a few guys off screens and, 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 and putting that guy, putting that ball handler specifically in a screen, trying to create the matchup that you want. Eventually, that matchup could fall to somebody like an A.J. Lawson. If you at least have that guy on your bench, I think that's a very valuable tool to have at the wing spot. Now, that being said, you can also make the case, and I'll be curious to see which way you go, Tyler, that, that you can still find him maybe as like an undrafted free agent target. You can bring him into camp, identify him that way. Um, but I still think, again, playing the position of importance on the wing, like we're talking about, we put so much emphasis today in the game on these wings who can at least defend their position and give enough offensive juice to keep themselves on the floor in different stretches i think that being able to count on an experienced guard like lawson to play like 10 to 12 minute stretches whether it's in the regular season or even being able to bring him in sporadically in the playoffs like that i think that's a valuable guy to have on your bench so um that's my case for why i actually think i would draft him towards the back end of the second round what about you tyler yeah i i, I think you're spot on with that um you know these nba teams are always going to try these find these guys that wings that have good size that could potentially get after it defensively. You know, we're always chasing the idea of finding the next three and D guys. And now Lawson obviously is going to have to be a little bit more consistent as a shooter from deep to basically earn that tag. But yeah, this is a really deep draft. I think that's probably going to be a position in which some of these guys might not get drafted, but they might be priority free agents in which teams are calling them off the hook and trying to be like, hey, we want you for a two-way contract right away. You know, Lawson could be a guy that goes to the summer league in Las Vegas and puts up some big numbers. And, you know, all of a sudden teams like, okay, we found something here. Because like we've said before, he's been on draft radars. So people yep. have 
you know, had their mindset on him, been watching him closely. Now, you know, when you come and you start having these performances at the combines, people are going to go back and say, okay, maybe, maybe I got to reevaluate your film and see if I missed something. Maybe it's someone that thought of him very highly before. And now they're saying, okay, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been waiting to see. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if someone like Lawson got drafted towards the end. I think that's the best part of these events is guys all of a sudden, you know, almost say like, Hey, remember me, you know, I I can still play, I can do this. And, and then they ended up getting drafted early because it just takes one team to believe in their upside. And, you know, it's, I'm a big believer of, I like the experienced guys in college. I know we all fascinate about the, you know, one and dones and the guys that were high prospects out of high school, but I love the guys that have spent time in college and working on their game. And especially if you see a guy that has seen some increase in his production over the years, you know, it's lost in three years in double digits. It's still notable. You you would like that upside for a guy that potentially could be a rotational asset at the next level. So yeah, I, I could definitely see it. Um, it's going to be so fun because I, I wait pretty much as long as possible to get the intel and all the feedback and watch these combines before I put basically my big board together for the year. And it's going to be tough when you're getting to that 31 to 60 range because there's a lot of guys that, you know, it's just, you can see it. You can see why you would draft them. And I think Lawson's probably in that conversation now. Yeah, and and Tyler, you hit on a lot of points that I like to echo on this podcast. So I can already tell we're we're if if we weren't going to have one hell of a show already, then we we definitely are because you and I are on the same wavelengths in terms of operating, to definitely valuing experience to, uh, a little or or more or as much as um, some of these higher upside guys who don't have the same proven track records. Um, and, and that makes this conversation interesting because then we move to the, the two other guys that we're starting out this podcast with are also, again, college wings who have multiple years of experience. The next one I want to hit on is Dwayne Washington out of Ohio State. Um, averaged 16 points per game this year, shot 41% from the field overall, but 37% from three. So that's a little bit higher of a mark than when we were talking about A.J. Lawson and 84% almost from the free throw line. Those are really good percentages to be at. Um, But what's intriguing about him, and you saw some of this level of shot making come out, particularly in his second um, NBA draft combine game, was that he was in the 97th percentile overall in spot-up scoring, the 86th percentile on handoffs, 71st in isolation, and he was in the 60th percentile scoring out of pick-and-roll sets as the ball handler. Um, And then he was also 81st percentile on catch-and-shoot looks and 80th percentile in all jumpers off the dribble. So that's a very diverse shot package um, for, for, for a guard who's being looked at in, in the second round, maybe somewhere in like the mid to late second round. There's been some buzz that I think it, it was a little unexpected to, to some people around his camp that he was going to show out, not necessarily he was going to show out this well for, for scouts and executives, but that they would have so much interest in him as a potentially draftable guy right now. I think that, um, and as far as I could tell that Dwayne Washington was somebody who came into these camps and he wanted to, at the very least, get feedback, where if he went back to school next year, he would definitely know what he had to work on to improve his draft stock. Well, I think he has a really interesting choice in front of him, Tyler, and I'll get your thoughts in a second, because 
I think if he goes back to school next year, especially with some of the shot making we saw in that second game, he was the leading scorer for team two, 17 points, six of, uh, six of seven shooting from the field, three of four from three. If he goes back to school and he, he continues to just bump up those numbers and bump up those efficiencies and those percentiles, I think he could sneak into the first round next year um, of the draft. Or he could stay in this year, and it seems like a lot of the buzz he's gotten, he would likely be drafted at some point in the second round. So I guess it's, do you want to get to the NBA now? Do you want to start improving more facets of your game now? Or do you want to go back to school and potentially improve your draft stock, maybe sneak into that first round and, and certainly take the feedback that you've gotten, particularly I, I'm assuming he will have gotten feedback on his defensive game because that's, I think, where he needs to make the most strides. He can't, he's not one of those guys. He's like the opposite of Lawson. He excels more in like these team scheme type of concepts as far as defense. And when you put him on an island against some of those tough level shot makers, he's not necessarily excelling to that point. So I think he definitely needs to improve his individual one-on-one -on -one defense if he wants to have more of a role in the NBA versus being just like a selective shot maker. Somebody brings off the bench, they kind of stick him in, get a few buckets, take him back out because of how he might potentially sink a defense defensively if you're playing a lot of man schemes. So um, what are some of your thoughts on Dwayne Washington Jr.? Tyler, did he did he impress you all at the at the draft combine as well? Do you see him as a draftable guy this year? Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I love about the combine is there's always some guys that go there that basically it looks like they're going to get feedback. You know, they're trying to figure out, like you said, what do they need to work on if they go back to school to basically improve their draft stock for the following year. But it's always funny too, because there's always one guy that basically goes there of like, okay, let's see what I can do. And they end up playing way better than they think. And then they enter this interesting conversation of like, whoa, like, should I maybe stay in and see if I can get drafted? Like you just have this weird realization. You, you just have a heck of a week. You do everything right. And it's like, okay, maybe I got a shot that I might just stay in this class. And it seems like Washington was basically the name you just kept hearing about like all this past week. No one wanted to stop talking about him when it came to his G League combine performance. Then he comes over to the NBA combine and has a solid week and shows some versatility. And, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where you're not expecting a guy to potentially come out. He puts up all of these great production and shows all these flashes. And then you start saying, okay, maybe I need to go back and watch a little bit more and take that seriously. And I think Washington's going to have himself a really interesting couple weeks because I, I bet he's going to be a prospect that everyone's going to want to interview. They're going to want to see some more. They're going to go to see if he just was a guy that was just on fire and had a heck of a week or if it's something more common. And it, it's fascinating. I, I, you know, you go back and look at his numbers at Ohio State. And like you said, like there's a lot of offensive percentages that you really are intrigued by and I'm always a big believer I've loved to see when guys take like another leap from one year to the other and when he was a sophomore I think he averaged 11.5 points per game and then almost five points per more his next year as a junior so I mean that's a pretty big jump and I know he's 6'3 he's 210 he's he's a junior I I, I get when everyone wants to give some shade to the upperclassmen, even though I can't stand it personally. But um, no, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting because this draft is just, the depth just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And 
last year everyone was criticizing like if the draft was that good well we found out how good the draft was in 2020 because there was just players all over that could help and this one's almost shaping up to be kind of similar of you might find some guys that now i'm not saying these guys are going to be superstars because you know it's just that's a basically like winning the lottery if you find the Jokic in the second round and all that stuff. But these guys, there's an argument that they could become really good rotational pieces in this league. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's one Washington. It's going to be fascinating because I got to dive deeper now because just of how good of a week he had. But like I said, it, that end of the big boards and when you're making those rankings, it's going to be tough for everyone because there's just pieces all over. So I can definitely tell that you're going to excel and kill it with your own podcast, Tyler, because you <laughs> kind of threw a, a really good segue out there to our next guy that I wanted to hit on, who's Aaron Wiggins from Maryland. When you talked about you like to see jumps from guys from from significant jumps or, or semi significant jumps from one year to the next. Right. Mm-hmm. We never saw that with Aaron Wiggins. Um, he's, he, he's a guy who had enough hype behind him when, when he was a freshman coming into Maryland. I remember evaluating him and certainly looking at him and being like, okay, he, he looks the part of an NBA wing, but what's really going to help him stand out amongst the crowd. And he, it's not like he's had bad seasons at, at Maryland. I wouldn't call any of his play like bad, but I think it's just, it's, it's a little disappointing in terms of what I think that he's actually capable of. And at the G League Elite Camp, and then in the Combine, he started to show a little bit more of what I think we knew has really been there all along. And I definitely think that's a positive more so than a negative if we just try and look at what he did in college and not take any of the last week, week and a half into account. Um, and to fill out his profile, I mean, he, he's another guy who has, he, he's a like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six wing um, has a really good body to him, certainly looks the part, like I said, of an NBA wing, even more so now than he did a few years ago. He, in fact, he was arguably the best-built wing that, that was playing in, in those combines this past week. So that certainly pops out to NBA scouts right away. But you talk about going back into some of his numbers, he shot almost 45% from the field this past year, about 36% from three, 77% from the free-throw line. All of those numbers check out with almost a 20 PER, 55 true shooting percentage. That could arguably come up a little bit given that he had some college experience. Um, but 92nd percentile in transition, 76th percentile on cut, 78th percentile off screens. Um, so these are easy play types where he can come in right away, use his athletic advantages to his advantage off of the ball, and find different ways to get himself open and just convert doing the easy stuff, right? Um, and then kind of come in and let some of his defense shine. He wasn't, uh, again, another guy like A.J. Lawson, 82nd percentile defending isolations, 72nd percentile defending spot-ups. So again, this big physical wing, you can't just leave him on an island and, and, and you're going to cook him that easily, right? He does have a little bit of that nastiness to him. He is going to play hard and certainly give enough effort. So I think based on the week that he had, as well as when you actually go back and look at some of the film and you see what he can do, to me, it's all just about consistency. But if you've shown that you can do enough things at a high enough level and you have the the body and the athleticism to come in and contribute to the NBA game, you definitely get drafted. And I, and I think he's, he's, he's locked himself in to getting drafted. I had questions about him 
just like A.J. Lawson, if I thought he was going to get drafted this year or not, I think he's pretty much solidified that case. It's just a matter of how high do you take him. And again, that comes back to he, he, he definitely left things to be desired in terms of an overall package, but he kind of just like skates by when you compare him to some of the other wings that you're going to find in the second round. Um, how do you feel about Aaron Wiggins, uh, Tyler? What, what, what's your eval on him? Where do you think um, he would be drafted this year? Well, I think you said it perfectly. I think consistency is the word with him. Um, after his freshman year, like you kind of went into, he jumped on people's radars. He was all over draft radars. It was like, okay, we got to pay attention to Aaron Wiggins moving forward. And then, you know, unfortunately he had a bit of a, you know, sophomore slump, if you want to call it that way with college, his numbers just went down a little bit. I think as a freshman, he shot about 41% from three, then sophomore year, he goes back down to about 31%. And you're like, okay, that, that's a big jump down. But then last year, he, he jumps back up. He has some good numbers. He's 44% from the field, 35% from three, which is fine, but it's, you're trending in the right direction. And, you, you know, I think that's what I've basically tried to talk about earlier is with the combine, it's almost like guys confirming what they believed in before. And when yep. you see with a guy like Wiggins, there's going to be some scouts being like, I, I, that's what I've been wanting to see. And now it's finally coming to the surface. So yeah, I think when you, if you believe in someone and you've watched them long enough, you've evaluated them, you've seen them at their highs, you've seen them at their lows. You think there's just another level of the game that can come out. Absolutely. I think it's worth taking in a second round if you get the front office and scouts on board. And I also think, Wiggins is like a perfect type of guy that a team could say, hey, we've got a really good staff with our G League team. Let's bring him in and see if we can kind of get some confidence rolling with his game. And then all of a sudden he might turn into something that where he's just a player in this league for a really long time. Because I think people sometimes look at the G League as it's almost like a bad thing to be playing there. It's becoming one of the most special developmental tools these teams have in this league and there's a lot of guys that go down there basically kind of figure it out and come back up and they're like okay i'm ready to go now so all these guys that we just talked about could be guys that go down and it wouldn't surprise me if they spend a little time in the g league and they put up some big numbers and it's like okay they belong on an nba roster right away um, but i definitely think with wiggins some scouts are going to be like, okay, this is what I was waiting to see during his freshman year or after his freshman year. And now all of a sudden it's, it's coming to the surface at the best possible time for Aaron Wiggins, because now maybe his stock starts to creep. And like you said, he's an absolute pick that should be ending up somewhere in the second round. So I'm right there with you. I think it wouldn't surprise me if any of these guys end up going in the second round. It also wouldn't surprise me if maybe they don't, but they are in high demand and they end up on a roster on opening night next year. I think if I had to put a bet on out of those three guys that we just talked about, who's the most likely to not only land himself a roster spot, but hold down a role for like 18 to 20 minutes a night for, for, for an NBA team, probably Aaron Wiggins that, that, that wins that bet. And I think Dwayne Washington would be a close second behind him. But like, just again, given everything that you talked about, um, Tyler, having probably the most complete two-way profile out of these three guys, both offense and defense, I definitely think that that's why he gets drafted. And and yeah, maybe 
that does come with him going down to the G League and just learning how to keep playing the game of basketball at a high enough level. Those coaches figuring out ultimately what his real strengths are, letting him play to those strengths and give himself enough of a showcase to say, hey, these are the things I can do right away on an NBA floor. Bring me up. Let's get to work. Get me a rotation spot. Um, that, that probably is the best course of action to take for somebody like Aaron Wiggins because he's kind of been all over the place in some respects with his game in Maryland. So, yeah, I, I agree with, with everything that you just said, and it's going to be really interesting to see if somebody like a Dwayne Washington stays in the draft, where Aaron Wiggins might go in the draft, if A.J. Lawson gets drafted, and if he doesn't, who's one of those teams that definitely snatches him up and is like, hey, we're bringing you to training camp where we're bringing you to our summer league camp. We're going to have you work with these guys. We want to see what you can do. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with, with some of these guys as we get closer to the draft and some of the buzz that we hear. Um, but let's move into some of the, the winners from the draft combine. These are some, some bigger names that I know that I've talked about on the podcast before, but it's worth revisiting them because of some of the buzz they got this week. Uh, we're going to start out with two guards who I, I really figured they were going to show out in, in different respects for the draft combine, and I'm glad they did because, like, like you said, Tyler, the, 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 the draft combine can be used to solidify what you already thought about these prospects and kind of solidify their positions on, on a board or in a tier system and just give you an ease of mind like, all right, the, the tape wasn't lying to me, the numbers weren't lying to me, I saw what I needed to see. This is where we feel comfortable taking him or not taking him or whatever the case may be. And Josh Primo helped himself, I think, in a pretty big way because obviously the intrigue was there from the start, at least for me at the beginning of the season, this, this 6'6 combo guard. Now he, he, he measured in at 6'5 at the combine, but that's fine. 6'5 is still plenty big for, for your combo type of guard. Um, he's definitely got more starts in the second half of the year. And he didn't have a bad freshman season. He averaged eight points a game on 43% shooting from the field, 38% from three. Um, really showed a variety of different ways he can score the basketball when shooting it. Some of his finishing package was definitely in question after his freshman year, as well as his ability to make plays in pick and roll sets and kind of make everyone else around him better versus just being this interesting guard who can catch and shoot, maybe can do a little bit off the dribble, what can you actually get out of him if you give him some volume? And to his credit, he showed that he can make plays for others now. Um, and he definitely found better ways to navigate the defense in, in, in those NBA draft combine, um, in, in that NBA draft combine game, the one that he played in. Um, he, he found ways to make the guys around him better and be able to finish inside. And that to me was really important to see um, just him being able to do that in general, like, like him being able to stand out was awesome. Um, so I like what I saw from Josh Primo. I liked what I saw from him all year on film. Um, did you learn anything new about Josh Primo, Tyler? What, what's kind of how you stand on him as far as him coming into this draft? Do you think he should go back to school? I was very intrigued. There's always one guy that surprises me when they basically say they're going to test waters and you start hearing some rumblings that they're going to keep their name in and all that fun stuff. And Primo was pretty much at the top of the list when it came out that he was going to test it. I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's an intriguing addition to this class. And you know, you, you love everything you see of him. It's one of those guys you don't chase the stats too much when you're watching him as a freshman, because he was one of those guys, I think 
if he went back another year, he was just going to take off and maybe go way earlier in the draft than we're all projecting now. But I still, I'm a very big fan of Primo. I was more interested with his play at the combine. I think a lot of people chase the guys that score, but with guys like Primo, you kind of want to see like, does he make a effort to do a variety of things on the floor that can impact the game besides just scoring? And he showed, like you said, he showed some signs, you know, his playmaking. He's basically just, he flashed all over the place and you're like, okay, this, this big wing that, you know, is very raw, but has all the talent in the world. He's, I think he's going to be one of the youngest players in the draft. I think he doesn't turn 19 until December. Like someone's going to be a big fan and it's going to be one of those guys where maybe he goes earlier than we're expecting because the team is just saying, Hey, we weren't going to think we had a shot at him next year. Like maybe we take him, you know, some part of the twenties or I don't know, but I I'm a fan of Primo. I I'm very intrigued by him. I thought, he was one of those guys at the combine that popped and it wasn't just because of his scoring. I thought it was just more like you thought he was a scorer. You thought he was a potential like really good shooter from outside. And I think now you're like, okay, there's, there's some rawness. There's some serious upside to the rest of his game. So I think just that basically is just seeing that there's more to his game that is just only scratching the surface. And by the way, to to all the, the negative Nancys that could potentially jump in right here and say, the dude had one assist to one turnover in that <laughs> combine game, and we're talking about his playmaking. Well, there's more to making others better around you than just racking up assists. It's, it's how you move on the court, where you're positioning yourself at all times, how you navigate those defenses. Was the potential there for the assist? Did he look comfortable getting himself in those situations? And the answers to all those questions were yes. So mm-hmm. if you want to come at me and say he had one assist to one turnover, fine, whatever, be, be negative, be a curmudgeon. I don't really care at this point. But I think you and I are on the same wavelength, Tyler, that he showed a comfort level being a lead guard on that floor. And that was very important to see for me. Because, yeah, you go back the numbers in, the, in his freshman year, um, even, even though you said the numbers aren't always important with freshmen, and I agree, but he was in the seventh percentile in pick and rolls, including passes, the second percentile in isolations, including passes. There's no zeros behind either of those numbers. So, yeah, the passing did not show up in his freshman year. But at the same time, he wasn't necessarily asked to be in those positions. And it was all about comfort level that I wanted to see. Like I said, he's he's raw. We know he's raw. But kind of like how I saw the Portland Trailblazers take Anthony Simons in the first round a few years ago, I feel the same way about Primo. I think that somebody... I always had this feeling that somebody's going to take a gamble on him late in the first round if he came out. And I still feel that way. Like my, my opinion there has only been more solidified than it was previously, but I was already pretty confident in that opinion. So um, I'm very, I'm very curious to see where exactly he goes. Maybe he goes a little bit higher than I anticipate. I think he's probably going to go somewhere like 25 to 30, but who knows, maybe somebody even um, snaps him up even, even quicker than that. I don't know. Um, I, the, the one thing that intrigues me about his game that I'll just touch on, then we'll move on to our next guy. Some of his defensive metrics last year were actually pretty good for a freshman. Um, he was in the 77th percentile defending isolations, the 66th defending off screens, the 59th defending, uh, spot ups and 67th percentile defending handoffs, 90th percentile defending runners and 85th percentile defending around the basket. So 
if you try and be a little too physical with Josh or you, you get him in situations where he's comfortable defending his size, his length, his effort, and his motor, he's not going to be afraid to defend in those situations. And I think when you look at guards who are raw on, on the offensive end and you say, well, okay, well, maybe they can contribute defensively. Are they scared of the moment? Are they going to be able to take a matchup in the NBA so we can get them on the floor? I think the answers to those questions are yes. I don't think his offense is far enough along for him to get on an NBA floor really much at all next year. He would definitely spend the majority of his time in the G League. But there are some positive things that point to him being able to, to get minutes when you factor into how he scores off the ball, shooting like we talked about, and then some of his defensive strengths as well. He's not a perfect defender by any means, but he at least shows proficiency in some of those play types, some of those situations that are most common in the NBA. I'm really confident in his NBA upside. He's somebody I've loved all along, and I, I, I can't wait to see where he goes. Nothing, nothing but the best for Josh. But let's move on to another guy who is a fan favorite in, in draft Twitter circles. We had Simon Rath on the, the other week, and I wanted to have him on to talk about Bones Highland because that was one of his boys from the start. Wasn't on my radar. I didn't really know much about his game until Simon was like, hey, you guys got to start checking this guy out. He's putting the ball in the basket, and that he does. He averaged almost 20 points per game um, on 45% shooting from the field, 37% from three, um, almost two steals per game, almost a 24 PER, and almost a 60 true shooting percentage, 83rd percentile overall in total offense. Like This guy just flat out goes out and gets you buckets. He has very, very, very deep range on his jump shot. He can make a variety of different shots off the dribble. Trently so, uh, he, he showed a better proficiency in terms of finishing at the basket this past year at VCU. Um, he, he doesn't really have like a floater or like the greatest in-between game, but I don't know how much you're necessarily asking him to play to like an, an in-between game. I think you're kind of looking at him and being like, you're either going to shoot or you're going to take somebody on a line drive and you're going to try to finish at the basket. But um, one of those guys that I don't think he's going to be asked to be a high-level playmaker at the next level, I think you're drafting him to be a microwave scorer off your bench. And he's one of those guys that, especially in some of these tight playoff games, if you have somebody with the type of confidence that that, that Deshaun does, um, th that's only going to benefit you in those situations because you can put the ball in his hands. Go shoot it. He, no questions asked. He, he's going to shoot that damn ball. He doesn't really care what happens. So um, where are you at, Tyler, on on Bones Highland? How have you kind of evaluated him this year? What's your outlook on him? And, and again, did you learn anything from the combine that you didn't know previously? You know, I'm a big fan, and I, I know Simon's a big fan, so shout out to Simon. Um, he's been on him all year about Bones Highland, and it's one of those things. I'm, I have a bit of a weakness for the scrappy guards, and there's some really good scrappy guards in this class. And when you watch Bones, he, yes, he, he fills it up in a hurry. He put up some big numbers. Anytime you're getting around the 20 points per game range, it's you got to take some special notice of it. But he's got it, – it's weird because you look at his stats and you go, oh, only 37%. And then you turn on the film and he's shooting like Steph Curry range and all over the place. And you're like, oh, my gosh. But I think – the one thing I was so intrigued by with Bones is uh, his ability off the dribble. He's he's really slippery through traffic. I mean, he's got – he measured – he was one of my biggest winners from the combine just because, you know, we all obsess 
over the measurements and the wingspans, just, just what we do. We all love it. And obviously he had some great measurements and caught the attention of pretty much draft Twitter, like you said, but it's just fascinating when you watch him on film because he, he has a really good like shiftiness change of gears that you're not really expecting just because he's really thin framed, but he like does a good job using that to kind of weave through traffic and he finishes with both hands. He's got these acrobatic finishes with his length. Like he understands kind of how to set up the fenders. Like it, it was just one of those things when you watched him at the combine too, in the middle of those games, it all of a sudden just started belong, like sounding and looking like he didn't belong there in a good way. It was like, okay, he was one of the best guys on the floor. Like he probably it should shut it down. Like he looks fine. I, I think, um, I had bones before this week and before I dove into his film before the combine, I had him a little outside the second. Um, I, I, I think he's going to end up going the first. I, I don't see why some team wouldn't be in love with just what he can do. I also think there's some intrigue with his ability as a defender, even though I do think he's got to add some strength and, you know, a lot of these young kids have to do that. It's just, it's a common thing. You're going into the next level. You're playing against grown men. You got to get in the weight room, but that'll come. I, I really like just, he's got some feistiness. I, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I think someone at the end of the first round, maybe a playoff caliber team is just saying we can add this kid to our rotation off the bench. like perfect, but it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, the more I watch the, the more I'm a fan and, I know a lot of people, like you said, are uh, big fans on draft Twitter and social media and Reddit and all that fun stuff. But I, I get it. I get why people are intrigued by him because he's just, he's got a lot of stuff that you would think teams are going to be really fond of. I like that you mentioned his attitude because he has an excellent one. Great kid, plenty of enthusiasm, loves to play the game of basketball at a high level. When, when he was doing that interview with Schmitz during the, the combine, it looked like his dreams were literally like coming true. Yeah. <laughs> he was that excited to talk to Mike Schmitz. And I, I love seeing stuff like that because that, that at the end of the day is really what it's all about, right? It's putting yourself in an opportunity to succeed at a high level, fulfill the dreams that you have for yourself, taking care of everyone else around you along the way. Cause he, that, that boy's going to get paid. Like we both mm -hmm. think he's going to be a first round pick. He's going to get paid. So that's really that, that excitement, that enthusiasm. That's what it's all about. You, you talked about his, his, he's kind of like slippery in the lane, right? I, I got to say, I'm not in love with his finishing or his, his, his mid range ability. Like I said, although one, one of the numbers would argue against me it was in the 85th percentile scoring on runners this year. So that touche, that can be a counterpoint in the stats, but um, in terms of him actually getting to those spots though, he reminds me of Shea Gilgis Alexander in that way. Like, like slippery is the word that I would use to describe Shea in, in, in many different ways. And Nashawn has that to his game. And I love seeing that from these young guards who are slender in frame, but they have enough of a handle and they just know how to navigate a crowded court and find the right angles for them to be able to succeed. I really like seeing that from guys. And, and that is something that he can use to his advantage to maybe carve out an even larger role than I would initially project. Um, do, do you see any any pathways for Bones being a, a starter at some point in the NBA down the road? Or do you think that he he is just he's going to be locked into that microwave role and that's really what he's going to be for his career? You know, it, 
I'm not sure. I, I think there's definitely the upside to get there. I mean, now obviously he's got to work on a lot of aspects of his game. I'm I'm actually right there with you with the mid range. I think the mid range is a little, it's almost like a little robotic and uh, tweaky. Like it, he yeah. takes a little bit to get that shot up for the mid range. I, I don't know. It's just a little slow. And right when you say that was about the runners, like yeah, I know he tested out right, but I think he's still got to work on it a little bit. I'm not too worried about it. I could see him being a starter. Um, obviously, you know, NBA teams like to find those off guards that are a little bit bigger, but Bones has that wingspan to kind of make that counter argument. So it it's just interesting. I, I think you're almost just trying to get a guy right away that you're like, okay, he can play. We'll figure it out. And maybe you find he turns out to be a heck of a player and you got to have him in the starting lineup. I mean, you never know, but. I, I just I like the upside. I like the tools he has at his arsenal right now. And, you know, like you just said about SGA being a bit of a comparison, I think that's a great one because there's definitely some vibes of SGA with just his way to kind of navigate. But also, you know, Bones is now going to probably go from a team in which he was having the ball in his hand a lot at VCU because he was kind of their offensive guy. And it'll be interesting to see if he can have that same impact you know, if he's going to a playoff team, they're not going to hand him the ball and say, okay, go, go, go run the offense all the time. They're going to make him earn his spot and earn his respect with the veterans on the team. So yeah, I, I, I like the upside. I wouldn't surprise me if he turns into a guy that's just like, he's a great player. You got to have him in the starting lineup, but it's, he's one of those names. Like I said, I think he, there's some guys on, that I know we're going to talk about that definitely helped their stock this, this week. I think bones helped a lot. I think now he's probably going to be a guy that if he continues to have a good rest of the process, I imagine he had some good interviews. I haven't really heard any Intel about just specifically bones yet, but I imagine he's going to be a first round pick. Oh, no, no doubt about it. And, and bones and Josh Primo were two of the more um, bigger more fun. I don't want to say more fun. That that's that that's negative, Nancy. More some of the bigger names that we could talk about in this part of the segment. But let's let's go back and and dive into into the weeds a little more with some of these other guys who are more likely second round guys than not. I don't see any of these guys in the going in the first round. I'm sure you're probably going to agree with me, Tyler. But um, talking about Jericho Sims, the center out of Texas, who uh, played all four years in college. Definitely had some moments where he popped, had some bad moments um, in terms of his play on the floor. He is a really intriguing prospect because you look at him, the dude's built like a freaking house. Mm -hmm. You'd expect him to be this rim-protecting, lockdown big man in the paint, can score off of some some easy play types, and he's kind of just like your, your, your garbage rim protector, right? Well... It, that, that case doesn't bear itself out in the, in the numbers. It, it's pretty interesting to think about. So we did rank in the 93rd percentile in terms of total offense. Again, on a lot of those garbage type, easy, easy finishing play types, like rolling off of a pick and roll, he was in the 97th percentile, 96th percentile on spot ups, 93rd percentile on transition, 73rd percentile on putbacks. So pr- pretty easy case right there. He's going to give effort. He's going to give energy, his physical size, the athletic specimen, that he is at that size, those opportunities are going to be almost endless for him, right? And he was in the 99th percentile scoring around the basket. He was in the 7th percentile on post-ups offensively, so that concerns me a little bit. 
Um, that there's nothing to do with his size and his build. That's more of a, a physicality issue and a technique issue, at least to me. But then you look at some of the stuff defensively. Um, 47 percentile defending against post-ups, 19th percentile defending spot-ups, 16th percentile defending um, the roll man out of pick and roll sets. And yeah, he was in the 92nd percentile defending exclusively around the basket, but you get him outside the paint, his numbers are pretty putrid. So that th- those type of bigs, while they can be valuable in certain situations, those are some of the players that are getting torn up in the NBA playoffs right now. Like, like it gets to the point where some of those, some of those bigs that are exclusively around the basket guys are nearly unplayable at certain points in these playoff games. So that's, I think why he's locked into the second round. If all, if he is going to be drafted, you're not taking somebody like that in the first round, but to his credit, he did really come out and have a strong combine showing in terms of his effort his motor, his athletic ability was on full display. He was much more comfortable defending in different situations in, in, in the combine games. And that to me was a big positive because I think he needed to reinforce the fact that, hey, numbers aren't everything. Here's how I'm going to test out athletically. Here's my ability in different play types on the floor. This is what I'm actually capable of in an NBA setting, not necessarily in a college setting. And I think the NBA game certainly suits him better more than anything he faced at, at Texas in college. So um, did, did you think that Jericho Sims helped his draft stock at all, Tyler? Do you see him as someone who's going to be drafted in the second round? Yeah, I, I uh, he's one of those guys that I, he made some plays and I was just kind of, you kind of like grab your chair and take a little step back to catch your <laughs> breath. I, I mean, he's just, like you said, he's a, he's like built like a freight train and he has that, crazy explosiveness i think he had the 44 vertical or something ridiculous maybe 41 i'm not sure off the top of my head but you know he's 610 250 i think he had a 73 wingspan so like all the measurements and the athleticism are just scary and he's one of those guys at ut that was just like energy you had to bring him in to kind of wake up your team and make some big plays and then he made some plays that you couldn't keep him off the floor because he just he was just contagious energy flying all over the place. I think I, I you know, I, I hate to keep hammering home the G league route. You guys are going to think I'm sponsored or something, but <laughs> I think it's just one of those situations where if you could just put him in the G league and have him figure it out defensively, like all of a sudden you might look up and be like, we have a fantastic backup big that can go in set screens you know, be a lob threat, do some damage on the boards and, you know, spotty minutes. I mean, he's just, there was a lot of intrigue watching him in those scrimmages because I was just like, okay, there's something here. Some team's going to have to see something of like, is this worth a second round gamble that we might find a nice piece and great value towards the end of the draft? So I'm intrigued. I, I get what you're saying with the defense. I mean, some of those numbers, especially the categories that the numbers are in when it comes to his percentiles on defense are just a little alarming. But it, it's one of those, how much do you trust your developmental staff? How much do you trust what the kid has like left with his upside? You know, I know he, he had that crowded front court to deal with at Texas, but almost averaging, you know, 10 and 10, I, he's at nine and seven. Maybe you've had more minutes and, you know, there's just a lot of intrigue and 
it's just it's one of those things like you just kept seeing plays on tape and you're like okay he's a monster and he moves quick and he can dunk over anyone he wants and you know you even saw some videos on social media leaking of him basically dunking on people and two-on-one drills you know fast breaks and stuff so i'll be interested to see i think he's definitely earned himself in the conversation of basically getting into the second round even though i think there's just a lot of pieces all over you can go with but it wouldn't surprise me if an nba organization is just fond of the athleticism and the size and the explosiveness and they're saying hey maybe we can find a great value late in the draft you made the point Tyler, I'm glad that you made it. I was hoping you were going to make it with the words, if you trust your developmental staff, because the whole point you made around that fact, great point. Like if, if you have a staff down in the G league, who's willing to sit down with this young man, have countless film sessions with him, and then bear those film sessions out on the court in different practice settings and ultimately in, in game settings where you're like, look, we're going to strip away some of the things you think you know about defense. We're going to rebuild you from the ground up. Exactly. We think, you have, we think you have the athletic profile at your size to be an absolute monster on the defensive end in a variety of different situations. Like that to me, like I was kind of saying, I think it's more about his understanding of how to play defense versus anything that's going to limit him physically. Cause yeah, he doesn't have, he doesn't have things that are going to limit him physically. He moves laterally just fine. Um, obviously he has the vertical, like you mentioned, he can test shots at the rim. If he steps out, he can keep up with guys. He has all the size, the wingspan, the whole nine yards. He's got all of it. Um, it's, it's about if a team is committed to rebuilding his understanding of how to play defense, he can be your backup big off the bench. He can be like your first center that you have coming in off the bench in a few years time. And that's a very valuable player to find, especially when you're like mining for some of these second round guys, or if he doesn't get drafted, and you're talking about that's someone who you can bring in, that's the level you get him to as an undrafted free agent, that's a major win for your organization. That makes you look good. That makes your front office look good. That makes your G League staff look good if that's the staff that took over the majority of his defensive devel- development. Like, that's such a winning, positive story all around. So that's why I think he does get drafted. Um, I think that's going to be a great scenario for some team to find themselves in if they have the staff to do it, as you and I both know, Tyler, not every team has the same developmental staff as one another. So I'll I'll be intrigued to see where he actually lands, but somebody like a Toronto or a Miami, somebody along those lines, I feel like is going to snag him up um, and and they're going to be able to work with him for, for years to come. And we'll see if he does become a a productive bench, big man, or who, who knows, maybe even becomes a starter down down the road for a team. Like who the heck knows guys who can, Guys who can rim run like that, who are so efficiently at what they do offensively, know their role, and then they can step in and be versatile defenders with their size and athletic packages. Like that's technically a starter's recipe. So like right. I don't want to rule anything out for for somebody like that. So I, I agree definitely. If you're not going to draft him, he's certainly at like the very top of your list as far as undrafted um, free free agent targets. He helped himself in that way at the combine. Um, let's move into somebody else who I definitely feel like helped themselves at the combine that was Quentin Grimes um the the guard slash wing however you want to categorize him I would categorize him as a wing out of Houston averaged 18 points per game this year six rebounds only shot 41 percent from the field but he shot 40 percent from three and 79 percent from the line and that three-point number is key because that's his calling card 
Um, he, he came into Kansas, expected to be this dynamo point guard, making plays for others, doing all this crazy stuff off the dribble, being this 20-plus points per game score from the point guard spot. That wasn't who he was. Um, he was called to be that at Kansas. Didn't live up to those expectations. Transferred out. Went to Houston. Watered his game down to being this like 3 and D big guard slash wing type. And he's excelled at that role for multiple years now. Um, and, and everything positive that you've seen from his play at Houston bore itself out in, in these combine games as well. Um, at some point, being scorching hot from, from three-point rage, shooting everything he got, uh, making everything he looked at. I was really impressed with some of his shot making that I've seen, not only this past year at Houston, but also certainly in those games. And, and when you talk about when you talk about wings or guards that you can find in the second round, the, the, the types of players who you would value, you want guys who can shoot the rock. You want guys who are experienced enough to understand who they are and the role that they're going to come in and play. And while it would be nice to see Grimes tap into more of that type of game that he had before he got to college. Maybe he could be a little more dynamic with the ball in his hands. At the same time, he has the experience now. He at the very least understands how to play out of pick and roll and score out of pick and roll and make the right decisions out of those reads. So that's definitely a plus for him translating to the NBA. As we mentioned, he can score in a variety of ways, 92nd percentile in transition, 81st percentile in handoffs. Um, 80, uh, 70th percentile in isolation. Um, and then you look at some of the shooting numbers, 64th percentile on jumpers, um, 63rd percentile on all jumpers off the dribble, and 66 in catch-and-shoot situations. So those are all really good numbers for somebody you're expecting to be more exclusively a three-point shot maker. And if you have somebody who's going to be making those shots at a 40% clip, you're always going to find that level of value in the second round. But what intrigues me, Tyler, and, and I'll kick it over to you to, to – talk about this a little bit. Jonathan Givoni and Mike Schmitz came out with their new mock today. Um, again, we're recording this on June 29th, and they have Grimes at the 28th spot in the first round, which would be to my Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and, and I was talking with a few 76ers fans on social media today. They, they all seem to be really disappointed that that's where the mock landed out to who would be there at that pick at 28, citing other guys like a Bones Highland, for example, or other guys who might be there with more upside, a little more youth to them, a little bit more room to grow their games out. And I agree with that. I wouldn't hate the pick, though, if it was Grimes, because he's a mature enough player, like I said, who understands what his role is and what it's going to be in the NBA. And he's going to go out there and, and seemingly do his job now, regardless of what others think about him. And I think having that level of shooter with size and that mindset, I could see somebody like the 76ers using him in a lot of same ways like they used Seth Curry this past year, um, especially when you factor in that he's, he's not a bad pick and roll player, both scoring and passing out of the situation. So I think he could actually be a positive draft pick for, for somebody, whether it's late first, early second, mid second, where would you value drafting him, Tyler? What do you think about Grimes' stock, not only rising, but, potentially rising into the first round as it seems to be to be coming out of the of the combine so i i literally wrote down that gavoni and schmidt's mock so i was laughing while you just mentioned that i saw the same thing and it it, it jumped at me because when grimes i had wrote down i think a lot of people will say bones was one of the biggest winners of the combine i think grimes is right there i think he's in the conversation 
I'm trying to wrap my thoughts all around him because I've been a big fan of his for years. Um, if you go back before he went to Kansas, he was playing overseas for with Team USA in the FIBA ranks, and he was putting up great numbers. He just looked like a total player. And, you know, I, I don't love when guys go to Kansas just because it seems like it's it's more about the system and you you basically a lot of guys' numbers just plummet. And I think it was just a nightmare experience for Grimes at Kansas. So he basically transferred. And unfortunately, a lot of scouts were really high on him as a freshman. And it just went the total nightmare way. And then he goes to Houston and just kind of all of a sudden, just like you said, waters down his game, reinvents himself, and just becomes like a really good, solid player. And it was awesome to see just him like thriving at the combine because all of a sudden you start seeing I think he was just like okay I can do this I can play I belong here my confidence is surging and it's it's not much of a surprise to me that he could start creeping up into the first round just because when you look at the talent he had he was such a high risk recruit coming out of high school Scouts know him. They've been high on him, and they were just kind of waiting for it to click. If all of a sudden someone with that much upside starts to click and you think, okay, he reinvented himself, but he's going to be a really good player in this league, it wouldn't shock me if he gets into the first round. I, Like I said, I've, just, I've been a fan of his game, and I liked what I saw when he was at Houston. Um, I think that was a great decision for him to go there. And, you know... A team like Philly, if we're, I, I love to hear that you're a Philly fan, by the way. That's amazing intel that I just found out. But um, <laughs> no, I, I think Grimes is one of those guys that I think he'd be a dream for an NBA playoff caliber team because he's tough. He's been through a lot and he's kind of reinvented his game. He, he's just has some good numbers on both sides of the ball. I like the percentages. I'm a fan. I was very, very excited to see him pop off on on film and tape when you're watching him during the combine because it's just one of those guys that's been through a tough tough road it's been a roller coaster and now all of a sudden his best basketball is just starting to come back to the surface so i'm very intrigued um it's just it's a really cool story that not a lot of people have really you know been talking about much it's just basically a guy like you said he was supposed to be this floor general, this really crafty creator, struggled out of the gate, and now he's just reinvented himself, and he can play at a high level. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. I, I could see him definitely being an end-of-the-first-round pick. I think also if you got him in the second round somehow, you'd be very excited about the type of talent that you could be landing with that value. So. I'm glad that you you brought up the point again. Tyler, you're making a lot of great points on this podcast, but you've had a few. <laughs> you had. A I few appreciate really, it, guys. You're making me feel real good, so I really appreciate it. <laughs> you, you've had a few that have stuck out to me. The 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 one that you just said about Quentin when you're talking about you're glad that he went to Houston. There probably was, if 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 there were a few other good candidates to kind of build up his reputation and his confidence back to, to where they should be, help him reinvent himself and especially bring that toughness out on the defensive end. Like there may have been nobody better, but Kelvin Sampson at Houston mm -hmm. to kind of do that for him. So I, I agree completely. Like I was just sitting there thinking about that, like, huh, 
you, you wonder, he went to Houston. How did he do this? Oh, yeah, he had a really, really, really good coach to help him reinvent himself, um, reinsert his, his confidence back into his game and excel in, in multiple different ways. Like Kelvin Sampson, a guy who knows what the NBA game is and how it's played and how you get to the NBA. So having someone like that who can be a mentor to you, who is not going to be afraid to coach you toughly, um, who, who can draw out a roadmap for you in terms of how do you get to the NBA? What are the skills you have to have? What's a role that we can build for you where you can put yourself back on that platform and say, hey, I can do these things. This is apparently what you value. So you should draft me with, with a decent overall pick. So, yeah, I agree. He probably went to the best spot possible for him to rehabilitate his image, and it worked. Um, and, and, and I agree. I've kind of come around on Grimes. I've been so-so on him up to this point. But going back and looking over a few things for this podcast as well as watching some of the combine stuff, I agree. I also think that his game has really popped to me, and I think he can be a, a, a nearly perfect role player for what the NBA is looking for today. And you got to take those guys when, you know, when you have a chance to late first, early second, well, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I, I don't hate the pick if I'm Philly. I understand like if somebody like a Jaden Springer or a Bones Highland falls to 28, I'd, I'd ultimately probably rather choose one of those two guys. But if the front office looks at Grimes and says, well, this guy's more experienced. He knows who he is. He's going to come in, just do his job. We know we can ask, x y and z from him and he's going to be able to do it regardless of his upside given what we're trying to do in the playoffs i think we're probably more comfortable taking that player i'm not going to hate the pick because i think mm -hmm. he could excel for my team so let's let's move into the last real winner that we're going to touch on and then we have some other guys that, that we're just going to hit on quickly before we wrap up the podcast um joe Wieskamp, forward out of iowa tyler do you mm -hmm. mind if i squash a bug really quick before I get some of your thoughts on Joe. Yes. I got I, I got a beef that I got to pick with some people on draft Twitter. Cause I, I get this question too often. Um, you have a guy like, like Joe Wieskamp, who is this big shooter. We know what he can do, can shoot the ball in a variety of different ways on the move off screens. Um, doesn't necessarily have anything off the dribble, which I'll get into a second, but everybody's looking at me like Corey Kispert's talked about as a lottery pick. Why wouldn't you just pass on Kispert and take Joe Wieskamp in the second round and potentially get more bang for your buck, as they would like to say, or more value with like a lottery pick or like a mid first round pick? Oh boy, think, steer me away from that side of Twitter, please. <laughs> I don't think people understand how good of a season Corey Kispert had. So Joe Wieskamp had some, their, their box score stats are not too far apart. But really where you find the differences are in those, those synergy numbers that I like to whip out on this podcast where, where um, Joe Wieskamp was above like a 75, 75th percentile in four main statistical play types. Corey Kispert was above that mark for six different play types. He was in the 99th percentile overall offensively. Joe Wieskamp does like absolutely nothing off the dribble Kispert actually rates out not only um, in different play types off the dribble, but also when those play types include passes, especially pick and roll sets. Um, using the 86th percentile on runners, the 80th percentile scoring around the basket. Like Kispert, Kispert had a historic level offensive season, and yet people are trying to compare him 
to, to Joe Wieskamp because they don't think he's the star shot maker off the dribble. Like, no shit, he's not the star shot maker off the dribble. But that's not what you're going to ask him to do. Um, but he can still do enough on the move to the point where you're like, okay, he can't just give this guy free run to the basket either. Like he's going to be able to finish. He can, he can stop on two feet, hit a quick floater. Like Kispert can do enough things to keep himself on the floor. Even when somebody just wants to face guard him the whole game. But if you're having a defender waste that much energy, face guard him the whole game, that's kind of the whole point why you draft him in the lottery too. If he's that much of an attention getter for a defense, like hell yeah, you want that type of player. So Sorry, Joe Wieskamp. You're not Corey Kispert. I just had to make that point very clear to, to my audience. I don't know. You, you seem like you might have some thoughts about that, Tyler, given your reaction to that. What are what are some of your thoughts when you hear the, the whole Joe Wieskamp, Corey Kispert comparison conversation? It's amazing because there's every year there's one guy that just, I swear, like draft fanatics, people that want to talk about the draft, they just zero in on a guy and they want to pick everything wrong about him. I feel like Kispert was getting a lot of that this year. I'm a big Kispert fan. I think he does. A lot of people just think, Oh, he's a great shooter. You can find great shooter ever like all over the draft. And I'm like, well, Kispert, Kispert does a lot of really good stuff. Like besides shooting the crap out of the ball. And I'm a fan of him. I think the basketball IQ is all over the place. Like I could talk about Kispert forever. I think, with the way the league is translated and how important shootings become, we have all been obsessed with this idea that, okay, we can just find good shooters all over and they'll be really good and work perfectly. And it's not as easy as that, you know, like not, we're not always going to find the Duncan Robinsons in the G league. We're, you know, we're, we're not going to, let's not think it's just easy to find those guys, you know, Robinson took a lot of time to get out of the G League because he needed the perfect fit because he was a bit of a nightmare defensively and no one wanted to take on that. But I'm getting off track. But <laughs> yeah, uh, Joe Joe's interesting. Um, yeah, why don't you just those... give me your thoughts about Joe Wieskamp? We'll just we'll just we'll roll with you first since I've kind of been been taking the lead okay. on these guys. Um, Wieskamp, he's just one of those guys that I always stress caution when you get too pumped up about a combine performance. And I know he had one of those games where he was just a flamethrower from outside and everyone's like, well, look, he, you know, he should be scorching up boards. He should be in the first round. And I'm like, okay, well, let's pump the brakes there. Yep. Um, I, I mean, he's got good size. He can shoot. I think, I think his release is a little sh slow and I'm not like, I'm not a shooting doctor here. It just seems like, he seems like a guy that would probably benefit from going back another year. And I know he's a junior and everyone's going to be like, well, he's a junior, he'll be a senior. Like, isn't that going to be the bad for his draft though. stock? What'd you say? I said, Corey Kisper was a senior though. Exactly. So it's, it's like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be an upperclassman. And that's been something that I've been very passionate about is we shouldn't like punish these kids for going back to work on their game, you know? the Davion Mitchells and the Jared Butlers have improved their games by going back. And I don't know. I, I just, the numbers look great, you know, 14 um, points a game or almost 15 points a game, almost seven rebounds a game, 46% from three is definitely an eye opener. And then randomly 67% from the free throw line is just like, am I drunk reading this? But I don't know. I, it's just one of those guys that is just a really deep class. And I don't, I don't know if 
he moves the needle enough to be one of those guys. Like I think he should go back and improve his stock. Now we'll see. Maybe he thinks he had a good enough showing that he's like, I'm going to stay in and maybe he gets some positive feedback, but I would say out of the winners this week, I would probably say, you know, he's out of the guys we've mentioned, he's probably towards the bottom. So I don't, I don't know. What are you, what are you thinking? Like, I know you had your little rant about <laughs> Kispert and stuff, but are, are you thinking he's a guy that should stay in or do you think you just improve his stock by going back another year? He's one of those guys I'm just confused about and there's always going to be some of them, but right now I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't know. I think you should go back. He, he, he's, he, he's not a first rounder right now. Um, yeah. I kind of agree with you, Tyler. I think if he went back, he could absolutely improve his stock and get into the back end of the first round because of how valuable of a shooter he can be. And to his credit, it's not like you and I just want to sit here and bash Joe all day. Like to, to his credit, like we, we've spoken about a few positives. I'll lay out a, a few more. We, you, you've been bringing up some of the athletic testing numbers and some of the measurement numbers that came from the combine. Like when you look at his athletic testing, pretty much every single thing he did, he was a, he was a positive or, or at least mm -hmm. an upper plus pass, like where we thought he would test, right? Like he, he's, he's not a bad athlete. He's actually a good athlete, six ten size. So plenty of size to him. Um, the problem is, is his game just isn't diverse enough. Like mm -hmm. that, that's the issue. Like, yeah, he's this 6'10 guy who can sometimes cut to the basket, do something easy off the ball. But, like, he's a guy you probably are going to exclusively have him in the corners, just standing there waiting for him to shoot the ball. Um, he, he doesn't move off the ball nearly as well as Corey Kispert. I think a lot of Wieskamp's ability to make open shots came from some of his players around him actually either creating those shots for him or in the case of like a Luca Garza they just had so much gravity around them at all times that eventually somebody like Wieskamp's going to get open Corey Kispert is one of the best movers without the basketball in this entire draft class so mm -hmm. that really to me is like the biggest difference between the two now Wieskamp can get better at that going back to school for another year I think he can also improve defensively I don't think he should be nearly as bad in some of the play types he was defensively as his athletic profile and his size dream that he should be so I think there's improvement to definitely be made there but he yeah he, he he's a he's a second round pick right now is would, would do I think he definitely gets drafted absolutely uh do, does he get drafted any higher to to me than in like the the 40s or the 50s like no I personally don't believe that maybe some team could shock the both of us and take him in the 30s or maybe even the back end of the first round. I have no idea the answer to that question. I'm not talking to a bunch of scouts right now, but just off of my evaluation, no, I, I don't think he's any better than, than a second rounder. So if that's how he views himself, I definitely think there's a lot that could be gained from, from going back to school. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And, and it, uh, just one more note, I'll add to it. You know, Luca Garza is going to be leaving. You would think a guy that can shoot the crap out of the ball is, pretty intrigued about the idea of like, Hey, I might go back and just all of a sudden jump from 15 a game to 20. You know, I might have all these looks and opportunities to get the ball in my hands. And I mean, if you go back and you all of a sudden jump to around 20 points a game, like that's a, that's a big, you know, notable for NBA teams. So it, I don't, it'd just be, it's, it's one of those, it's really going to be interesting to see that name. Cause I know some people are really intrigued by him. I know he's been a, popular discussion of like hey you can shoot it and we all get fascinated with these shooters but 
he's definitely one I think pumped the brakes a little bit. He had a very big combine game, I understand, but I'm like you, I still think there's a there's a bit more versatility that needs to be brought out that probably could be brought out with another year at Iowa. Yeah, if he goes back and he all of a sudden makes a lot of these shots in in, in different ways other than just standstill three-point shooting and he proves both of us wrong, we we welcome that. By by yes. all means, go back and do that, Joe, and then get yourself into the first round, make yourself a little more money than just being a second-round pick. Like that's exactly why we're saying that. We're we're we're, we're not completely crapping on Joe's game, but there are some things that he has to improve or, or show that that he's worth a first round pick in the NBA. So yeah, I think we're we're both definitely in agreement on on Wies Camp. There's not much more to, to say there. So I want to move into four guys, four main guys that I have marked who I would consider to be losers from the draft combine process because of their play on the court. These were all guys who played in the games. Um, Greg Brown, the Texas forward, Matthew Hurt, the Duke forward. Johnny Juzang, UCLA wing, and David Duke, the guard out of Providence, who, by the way, I hear like nothing about David Duke anymore. Um, if, he, if he hadn't shown up to the draft combine, I'm not sure I would have heard his name uh, much before the NBA draft. So I'm glad he at least got out, get to have some positive interviews with some NBA teams and at least get some buzz going back for him um, at the very least. But I didn't think his play on the court was exceptional. So Tyler, out of those four, who do you think was the, the biggest loser uh, among those four names? Um, you know, I'm trying to be who I'm trying to balance of who I think had the biggest hit to their stock or who am I just, <laughs> um, I'm terrified of Greg Brown, just absolutely terrified. Um, I think I the combine kind of confirmed some of my fears, like he, some of the Texas guys and I love Jericho Sims, but I swear I wake up in a hot sweat about nightmares of like Kai Jones and Greg Brown, just because the athleticism is just both of them can do some stuff that you're just like, goodness, let me rewind that. But yep. there's a lot of inconsistency. Um, Brown just, it, it's, it's one of those guys that he has to land in a good spot that just can get a hold of them and connect with them. And that's what we we're talking about earlier about the develop developmental staff. And I think once he gets there's a spot in the draft and I don't have a point on it, but there's a spot in the draft and I'll figure this out once I get deeper into my board that I think you absolutely, he's worth the roll of a dice just because if you can put the tools together and you can get some consistency, like he's unbelievable freakish athlete and talent and the flashes he has are awesome, but they are very rare and few. So I would say Brown's probably number one on my list. Um, do you do you have a different one for your first guy or? So so Greg Brown, I'm not gonna say is the the biggest one just from the combine, just because look, we knew he was a project preseason. He was a project at the end of the season. He's still a project after the combine. The dude's project, right? Mm -hmm. you draft him you got to have the right developmental staff to bring him along slowly. It's going to be two to three years before he really sees consistent NBA action. Like that just is what it is. So mm -hmm. I actually think for me, the biggest loser was Johnny Juzang. Um, yeah. And I, I, that was the other one I'm struggling with, but I'll let you go with it. But I, I completely agree. I think Juzang probably yeah, one I'll of the biggest guys. Yeah. I'll toss it back over to you in a second, but 
Um, yeah, Juzang for me, man, he he did not pop whatsoever. It seemed like the amount of effort that he had to exert to either get some of those shots off or like try and make the right pass for somebody else. Like we watched some of these other draft prospects and and in in different ways, maybe for for some of the select few, everything about the game of basketball comes easy to them. Somebody like a Kate Cunningham or a Jalen Green, but you watched Johnny Juzang in those games. It's man, it, it seems so hard for him. And and that's disappointing because of the run that he had for, for UCLA. I kind of always thought that he was a, a draftable guy, even when he struggled at Kentucky, but getting, getting to actually watch him in more of a quote unquote NBA setting and seeing how tough the game was for him and, and how his strengths couldn't necessarily play themselves out whatsoever. He's kind of always been this tough shot maker, at least that that's been his reputation, but he's quite literally had to be a tough shot maker because of some of his um, limitations as far as his, his speed and his athletic traits. He has good size. He can get a shot off, but the amount of effort that he has to put into getting that shot off just really, really, really concerned me after watching him at the combine. I don't know how you feel about Juzang Tyler. I don't know where you were at on him before the combine and where you're at now, but yeah, he was, he was the guy where I look at and his, his play on the court scared me the most in terms of where I might've had him on a draft board and where I might have him now. Yeah, I, I, I'm in full agreement. I, I had him early in the process. I had him more in the later part of the second round. I thought maybe if he had a good combine, some team could fall in love and maybe pick him in the early second. But I thought he needed to have a big week. And I'm right there with you. I just when you watch the games and everything, it just just one of those guys that didn't really seem to pop off. And, you know, it's tough because we it's one of those like Cinderella stories that just gets absolutely hot during the tournament. And they try to basically double down to see if they can keep that magic going at the combine. And then all of a sudden they end up, end up realizing they're in a different world. And, you know, I'd read, I'd heard some rumblings that, you know, some, some draft guys thought he should just go all in and try to stay in the draft. Um, but you know, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to think that you could kind of keep your name in after that week he just had, just because it's, it's honestly, you just disappointing. And this draft is just deep. Like, especially if you get in the second, the guys are going to be more intrigued with some other ways they can go. So I think maybe, maybe he's considering returning now. I think probably on that radar of someone you need to watch for the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. It was, it was a bit disappointing. I, I was, I was very interested to see if he could uh, all of a sudden become a hot name and draft prospects in the draft world. But I, I think he's probably trending towards heading back. Full agreement. Johnny Juzang should 100% go back to school for another year, see if he can um, improve on some of that. And maybe he comes back next year and he looks like a different level of shot maker um, in, in a setting like that. I certainly hope so. I'm wishing nothing but the best for uh, Mr. Juzang. So, before we wrap up this podcast, I wrote down some other notable names here. Tyler, I'll, I'll ask you to pick one of these names as far as who stands out to you um, the, the, the most from this group and who, in your eyes, were, were you most impressed by? Because I think all of these guys were definitely positives in, in one way or another. Um, Nemias Keita, Josh Christopher, Julian and Justin Champagne, uh, Austin Reeves, Sam Hauser, and Sandro Mamukelashvili. I, I definitely did not say that right. I butcher that poor guy's name every single time on this podcast. I, I apologize, Sandro. 
I haven't learned my lesson to just say your first name, but um, Tyler, those guys, who impresses you the most out of those guys? I'm so glad you said Sandra's name because I've been trying to listen and tr pronounce it and I'm terrified for future podcasts too. So um, I think it's Mamu Kalashvili. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. That's what I, I heard think you just said. That. I think that's right. I, th I, I swear I listened to Jay Billis say it 10 times today when I was watching film <laughs> and I was like, I got nothing. But, um, you know, I, I, my man, Corey uh, Hardwood Herald keeps pushing the Josh Christopher experience at me. And I finally did a little dive last night and watched his game throughout the year. And then I watched him at the combine and I, I'm one of those, like, I'm glad he played. It, it wasn't anything that shocked me. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued more than I was earlier in the year when I was watching him on Arizona state. I think there's definitely some questions that need to be, you know, you need to figure out his fit is going to be very important. If someone drafts him and says, basically, uh, here's the ball, go, go to work. Obviously he's going to have a very fun time, but I think you got to also figure out the rest of his game. Um, I would say out of those guys. Yeah. I liked Josh Christopher. I did like Austin Reeves. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you take whoever you want to go. No, Christopher is definitely the guy to to choose from from that specific list. Um, I, I I think the Champagne twins should definitely be valued as as second round guys, and I definitely mm -hmm. think they're they're both draftable. I think I think Justin actually had a better combine than than Julian did personally. I saw mm -hmm. a lot more positive from Justin and then Nemias Keita. Um, he he's definitely earned himself a second round draft spot as well, being the active big seven foot body that he is. Again more more limited as a seven footer but what he does he can do well enough to to earn a backup role in the league so um I, i'm happy for him yeah josh christopher i'm so happy that he at least played in the games right you, you see so many of these guys who are projected first rounders who just don't want to play in these games but then you get somebody as competitive as a bones highland or a josh christopher who just want to go out there and play basketball that's just mm -hmm. what they want to do and they show out in big ways in some of these games. And yeah, Christopher put on some really good performances in, in both games. He had a really good first game, didn't sit out the second game, still played and had another good game. So I'm really happy for him. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Corey over at the Hardwood Herald, the, the him and Albert, the draft actor, they're good, good friends of this program. Um, but yeah, I, I think at this point, Corey probably has to have like a lottery grade on, on Josh Christopher. Are you are you there on him, Tyler? Would you give him a lottery grade? Um, you know, 15 to 30 is going to be just a war zone for me with when it comes to rankings. Um, I'm not there on Christopher yet. I know if I keep talking to Corey, he might try to actually yell at me and make me move him up, but gonna sell you that pen one way or another uh, he's, he's, he's definitely gonna wolf of wall street mode me on it but it's one of those i i think when you get to if you're in love with them in the late teens i get it if you probably draft them in the 20s i think you're pretty excited just because he does some stuff that you're just it's it's got some donovan mitchell vibes just i'm talking not the player but it's just the in and outs, the explosive and transitions, the I can fill it up from all over the floor. I'm I'm a fan. I'm very intrigued now. Like, gonna watch some more of him later. And um, I I also you know 
the Champagne brothers, I probably said their names wrong, but Justin, I'm intrigued too, because I love with wings with size that go rebound. I'm a, I'm a sucker for those guys, like guys that say, I'm going to go mix it up inside. And um, yeah, but going back to your point, Christopher, I don't know if I'm lottery bound yet, um, mainly because I think a lot of people that have them lottery bound don't have Kispert lottery bound, which I still can't wrap my head around. And now it's good to know that you're a Kispert fan, but <laughs> um, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's a lot that could happen. We got, I think, a little bit like a month until the draft. There's a lot that could happen with interviews and more private workouts and some intel coming in and buzz. So, um, but I, I, I really like that he played. I think there's an argument that that stuff won't hurt you as much as other people think. Cause there was some scouts that said, basically, you know, he didn't, he didn't show me anything that I hadn't seen already. Like it was good that he played and I was, I liked it, but it, it's not like something came up in a negative way. I think we all know that Christopher is a guy that can score in bunches and yep. um, he stood out, you know? I definitely think he's going to be the highest draft pick on out of all the guys we've, we've talked about. At least I, I sure hope he is. I, I hope he doesn't keep that late first round moniker that he seems to have gained um, from, from a lot of the main media members in the draft community. But um, regardless, we talked about a lot of guys who I think are going to be drafted. So that's really what we wanted to accomplish here. Tyler, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, not only wanting to come on the podcast, but also going in length of, about a, a crap ton of guys. Like we talked about a lot of guys on one podcast, so I can't thank you enough for coming along on the ride again. Where, where can my audience follow you, find you with everything that you're doing? Just hit on it one more time. Um, you can follow Backcourt Violation at Backcourt V on Facebook, mainly Twitter and Instagram, is, I would say go to. And then, of course, on YouTube, we're also doing a draft profile. So just search Backcourt Violation and you guys should follow us. But um, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I had an absolute blast. This is fun. And anytime you guys want to talk draft, I'm, I'm, I'm running there. I'm always willing to do it. So thank you guys so much. No, no, no problem. The pleasure's all mine, Tyler. If you want to do a little home on home on your podcast, just let me know. But you're always welcome back here with the, with the effort that you just showed right here. Absolutely. You're one of those hustle guys. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you in the draft every single time, my friend. So. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I was a hustle guy, so I appreciate that. There we go. And, and, and with that being said, thank you out there, everyone listening to this podcast. If you got through to the end of the episode, God bless you. This was a long one, but... Um, I, I appreciate anybody following us out there. If you're not, follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, um, and, and just keep the conversation going. We're a month away from the draft, literally a month away from the draft. We have so much more content coming. Like I said earlier, I'm excited about the tiers and, and all those breakdowns we're going to do across multiple podcasts. We have our mock draft, our first round GM style mock draft podcast that we're going to do with Matt Maurer, NBA draft historian, uh, historian. I'm really excited to have him on. Um, hopefully we'll have a few other special guests coming on along the way as well. And later this week, yeah, speaking of special guests, we're going to have your, your favorite Mavs draft on um, talking about some Dallas and Orlando targets, as well as some underrated prospects that are on his radar. So keep an eye out for, for that show as well. Thank you everyone again for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of your